In the Gospel lesson, we hear that Jesus heals the centurion's servant. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke in the seventh chapter. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, and he was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such a faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is the gospel of the Lord. Well, the world is full of truth, isn't it? And everybody seems to have their own idea of what truth is, right? I mean, here we are in the middle of a big political season. This happens every four years. And how many versions of the truth are we hearing out there? Everybody has one, and we got another five months of this coming up where we're going to hear so-and-so's truth, and oh, no, that's not truth, and this is truth, and, and it's like you almost don't know what to, leave, to believe, and somehow none of them really have it. Well, it's really not any different in the religious world either because there are people all over the world in every country and, and every kind of background claiming that they have the truth that they know what the truth is. And it's not just between the religions of the world where, where you hear those claims. It's within Christianity. And so you've got all these different denominations and everybody claims to have some sort of a grasp of the truth that the others don't have. And probably since the church is filled with sinful people in need of God's grace, Nobody really has it all right. None of us. And we should never presume that we do. But what was happening in Galatia when Paul wrote to them, because he had gone there and established a congregation and ministered among them and set that up and taught them what had been revealed to him directly by Christ. He taught them that, and now all of a sudden, they're being seduced by other truths. Okay, a different gospel, he says, as if there really is a different gospel. And he's concerned about how they can so quickly be going away from the truth, the real truth, God's truth, that they were taught and, and, and getting influenced by these other things that were going around, which he describes in more detail in the book. And that's not my point uh, that I want to get into today. But what is the truth and what really is the important thing? And I think 
um, Solomon in, in, uh, in what he said in his prayer. He really grasped it and he summed up everything that we need in a nutshell. So he stands up before the altar in front of the assembly, spreads his hands out toward heaven and he says this, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. There are three points in that part of the prayer that really sum it all up. The first one, no God like you. In heaven, earth, anywhere, there is no God like you. So you are it. You're the man or the woman. You are it. Okay? Nobody like you. The second point is you keep your covenant of love with your servants. The whole relationship is this covenant of love. The whole relationship between us and God is based in love. And so Solomon, even way back in the Old Testament, recognized that. And then the third point is you keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. So it's about following that God. It's about being faithful to that God. And that really sums up everything. That sums the whole message up. Where did Solomon get this? Well, he got it from his dad. <laughs> okay. Listen to what his dad said in uh, Psalm 96. He says, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and glory are in His sanctuary. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in His faithfulness. That's what sums up what God is about and our relationship with Him. However, we have a big problem because we have this thing in us that makes us to want to go off this way and to go off that way and to listen to other voices, to listen to other gospels, to listen to other truth. Sometimes it may be the thing that sounds really rational and really makes sense. And so some people will say, you know, all that stuff that, about God that, that's come down through the ages, you know, we've evolved as a, as a world and as a society, and it, it doesn't make sense that we listen to all of that. Some of it just doesn't seem to apply anymore. And some of the arguments might sound good, and they might sound rational, and they can be very enticing. And so we start to think. We start to think, well, maybe. Well, maybe there's a little seed of truth in what I'm hearing out there. Some of it just comes from our own selfishness. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I want what I want, and I want to do it the way I want to do it. And, you know, I know God says this, but I really like it this way. 
And so we just kind of make up our own thing and we do what we want and then we try to find a way to justify it. You know the old thing from a generation past, if it feels good, do it. Okay, yeah, well that like that works. Well, that's sometimes the attitude that we have with God. You know, well, it makes sense to me. It's right for me. And so we go off. There are all kinds of things that want to pull us away, but they all come down to one thing. Any of those attempts, any of those rationales, any of that stuff is nothing more than diminishing God. It diminishes God. It's a way of making God less and something else more. And so it's ultimately a disrespect for what God says and for what God wants from us. So it's not wholeheartedly following God, as Solomon said. Not with our whole heart following God. And every single one of us is guilty of that. Because God, lots of times in our lives, gets shoved to the side, gets put on a shelf because we're so busy. And we got so many things that we want to do. And we got so many goals and we're so driven to get someplace and to do something that we forget about God. And we don't take time with God and we kind of push him into the background. Until something happens and we need him. And then we'll go get him out of the box. That's not wholeheartedly following God. And we are all there. So now what was this message then that Paul preached to the Galatians that he got from God? Well, it was one thing. And in a little bit later from what we read in, in Galatians, Paul says this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. It was all about Christ and all about what he did and that he was crucified. And so what Paul would have preached to them was that he was crucified for what? To pay the price for the sin of the world. To pay the price for for you and me wanting to go off our own way, wanting to rationalize faith away, for not wholeheartedly following God. That's what Jesus paid the price for. That's what he was crucified for. And because his, the price he paid was acceptable to God, then he was brought back out of the grave. He was alive again. He's risen. And when he comes back, then those who follow Christ, then that life is theirs as well. So it brings life to us. That's the message. But the real point of that whole message is that it's all about God. God's at the top of the food chain. This is His plan. Okay, in terms of the universe and the hierarchy of the universe, God is the supreme authority. It's the same thing that Solomon and David said. There is no God like you. And this was his plan. This was his plan that he worked out through Jesus Christ so that you and I could have life. And why? Because God 
is in a covenant of love relationship with us. It all comes down to his love for us. Not deserved, not because we're so good, not because we have it all together, not because we wholeheartedly follow him, but what Christ did was because we don't do any of that. And because we're not good enough on our own. It's all what Christ does. It's all God's doing. So David and Solomon and Paul, they all had it right. It's all about God. It's all about his plan. But maybe the best real example of that is the story of the centurion. You've got a man who was a Roman, a Roman military leader, had his district that he was in charge of. He wasn't a Jew. He didn't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he was sympathetic toward the people and he treated the people right. He built their synagogue and he heard about Jesus. And when his servant, one of his top servants, got sick, he sent for Jesus because he recognized something in Jesus. And he cared about his servants, so he sent for Jesus. So he sent some of the Jewish elders, who were his friends, sent him to Jesus to come and get him and say, come so he can heal his servant. But here's where the story gets interesting, because when Jesus is on his way, the centurion sends some friends out, and he says, wait a minute. He says, I am not worthy for you to come into my house. I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. What did he recognize? He recognized somehow that Jesus was up here and that he had no right to come into his presence. But he also recognized Jesus' power because he said, you know what? He said, I got people working for me and I tell them what to do and they do it and I say go over here and they go or come over here and they come because I have authority. So what he's really saying is Jesus, you don't have to come. All you have to do is say the word. How did he recognize that? How did he recognize that God is God, that Jesus was somehow above all this other stuff? Well, he did. And you know, Jesus is the Son of God. He's the King of the universe, the Lord of heaven and earth, and probably not easily impressed. But he was impressed by the centurion. This text said marveled. Mine says he was amazed. Because this centurion had two things. One, humility, recognizing that God is the one that's in charge. And two, he had trust. He had faith in Jesus' power and his love. Can we do any less? <laughs>